Good morning and welcome to Real Presence Live. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning. I am one of your joyful hosts, Brad Gray, and I am joined by... Janine Bitson, and it is. It's a wonderful day, Brad. It is, it it's is. always wonderful to be in studio with you. I agree. It's a, it's such a joy and uh, it's a it's a beautiful month. I mean, October, the Respect Life Month, uh, this is, you know, we're, we're kind of just, we just got through most of that period that's just saturated with awesome saints. You know, we had the Archangels, we had St. Jerome, we had uh, St. Therese, the, uh, I mean, the Guardian Angels, uh, St. Francis yesterday. Now we have St. Faustina today. And wait a minute, yeah. you forgot Blessed Columba Marmion. Oh, he was goodness. on the third. Really? I didn't so, know that. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so it's been a really rock star. <laughs> I was actually having a conversation with someone on the third. I'm like, oh, this is the gap day where we don't have all the amazing saints. Oh, my I did. I didn't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, I'm ignorant. That's okay. I'll forgive you this I'll be, time. <laughs> I'll be more informed going forward. So. Oh, well, it is a great day, and we have a wonderful show today, uh, but with everything, Brad, we always be begin in prayer. Yeah, so yeah. could you lead us sure. this morning? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, you are good. You are gracious. You are the, the Lord and Father of life. You've called each of us into being. And uh, even more gloriously, Lord, you've redeemed us. You've sent your Son, Jesus, to be our mercy, to be our hope. Today on this uh, feast of St. Faustina, this great apostle of mercy, we, we look with joy and confidence to the great gift of your mercy, recognizing that all of us have fallen and all of us stand as beggars before your divine majesty. We ask for your grace to come upon us and to defend us in the midst of the, the war that is waged and raging around us. And we entrust uh, in this month where we uh, celebrate the great archangels, we entrust ourselves, our concerns, uh, and all of our cares to the mighty power of St. Michael, as we pray, St. Michael, the Archangel, defend, defend us in us battle. battle. Be our protection, protection against, against the wickedness and snares of the devil. devil. May God I rebuke him, we humbly pray. pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Brad, for leading that prayer. You know, that's been on my heart a lot lately. It's just everything's a battle right mm -hmm. now, right? Yeah. I don't think in any time in my lifetime, I'm not saying it hasn't happened before, we right. know that uh, human nature since the beginning of time has fallen. But I think it's been so evident, you know, to me in the last five years, you know, just how crazy things have gotten. Yeah. And really, it's our faith that is the answer. And uh, to constantly learn and grow in our faith so that we can be prepared when we have these kinds of issues confront us. Yeah, and, and so much of the um, the issues that we face is just like they're, they're, the, the waters have been muddied so much that uh, that people often have a hard time seeing through, like, what is the truth here? Where is the good? Because things are often, you know, the evil is cast as good and good is cast as evil. Um, and so, you know, as we're starting off this morning, we want to kind of dive into some of these key areas, especially in the realm of bioethics that, that we're... Uh, encountering today. And to, to start us off, to launch us off, we have Dr. Chris DeCock with us this morning. Good morning to you, Dr. Chris. Dr. DeCock, how, how would you like me to address you? Just don't call me Shirley. Just don't, or, or late for dinner, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There no, you go. Chris is just fine. Good, good. Well, we're really grateful, Chris, that you joined us this Today, you have a lot of very important work that you do in your line of uh, expertise, your discipline, and uh, you're doing a great service to the church as well. So we're really grateful that you've joined us this morning. Right. Thank you. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, this is probably going to be the beginning of, of some good stuff going forward. Mm-hmm. So as we're getting started, uh, why don't you begin by kind of introducing yourself to uh, you, you know who you are, what your occupation is to our listeners. Sure. So um, my name is uh, Christopher Deacock. I am a uh, pediatric neurologist and epileptologist over at Essentia Health. Uh, but the reason why I'm talking about bioethics this morning is that I'm also the physician chair of our West Market Ethics Committee. Um, and as you said, everything has been a battle, and there's been a lot of you know discussion and questions in bioethics. And you know, until very recently, I hadn't been super involved. I've been on bioethics committees for you know probably six, seven years, mm-hmm. but. You know, the stuff nowadays is just getting more and more and more and more and more questions every day. And so I talked with Aaron, and we thought it might be nice to sort of have like a monthly sort of bioethics take, if you will. Maybe some questions and answers, maybe some education for the audience there. And so so this is going to be the first in, you know, hopefully a long series of bioethics, and we'll try to bring... You know, questions and answers as they come up, of course, with a Catholic perspective. Um, And then kind of go from there. Now, I told you all the unimportant stuff, but Mm -hmm. I'm also uh, married to my beautiful wife, Rosie, and we have four kids, and we attend St. Anthony's. So Mm. Awesome. And I I just wanted to add, he's godfather to my granddaughter, Talitha, so... Pretty special. And there uh, too. speaking of family connections for you, that that um, the listeners may not have gotten why I was so apologetic about Saint Columba Marmion. <laughs> uh, so Janine's was it mother-in-law? Yeah, mother-in-law was the miraculous cure that made Blessed Columbia Marmion blessed. So Correct. this is a this is a a saint, a blessed that is very very special in her life and in the lives of many 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 people. I mean, it's it's funny. I've been going through this um, uh, year with the Eucharist book. Uh, that has just a daily reflection of the Eucharist during this year, this Eucharistic revival. And I've come across, I think, a couple of different pages where it's been Blessed Columbia Marmion that uh, they've been quoting and, and drawing on his reflections. And so it's it's pretty awesome. This is a power-packed part of the year. Yeah, it sure is. And and don't worry, uh, I'll work on you. No. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> but Chris, uh, you know, tell us tell us more, you know, about... You know your beautiful family and your your wonderful occupation, occupation, but what is bioethics? I mean, let's get into the nitty gritty here because we sure. have you for an hour and it's going to be an action packed hour. So listeners, stay put because there's so much to discuss in this area. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So bioethics is basically a field of applied ethics, which of course is a field of, you know, moral philosophy. And in bioethics, or some people refer to it as medical ethics, Mm -hmm. it seeks to answer those ought-type questions in medical situations. So, should I do this? Mm -hmm. You know, ought I to do this? Ought I to do that? Uh, Now, moreover, bioethics has a purpose, right? No, you know, no, 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 not only do we want to educate and help resolve ethical dilemmas as they come up, but we also want to try and reinforce virtue and character development for those practicing bioethics. And when we think about bioethics, we always have to keep in mind of what the goal of medicine is, because anything we do should be oriented toward some goal. And so the goal of medicine 
is healing. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about bioethical questions, you really need to sort of point your compass toward what the goal is. What is the end? What is the purpose of medicine? And that goal is healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, this is something that I think is somewhat elusive for a lot of us, you know, as far as understanding you know, what this means and, and how this fits in, uh, it becomes very, very practical for all of us at different points of life. You know, as people have parents that are aging or family members that are, uh, that are passing away. I actually, um, my own family had a very kind of very personal experience where my daughter, um, I suppose maybe four or five years ago, uh, her boyfriend was, was killed in a, um, car accident. And for a few days he was, um, in a coma after that they were keeping him on. And, and there were some real, real ethical, bioethical questions that were being thrown about and considered. And I remember um, having to make a call to the National Catholic Bioethics Center to say, you know, what is the good here? And that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right, is to identify what is the good in this particular medical scenario? Would that be something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's... That's a fair question, and, and I'll mention the National Catholic Bioethics Center. They do have a free consultative service, which um, I've even used a couple of times. But as Father Tad, you know, from mm -hmm. the NCBC would always say, when we're thinking about bioethics questions, we have to think about what are we doing right mm. now. And oftentimes people will get muddied in the waters of, well, what happened before? You know, mm. what's going to happen answer. Afterwards, it's no. What are you doing right now? Is what you are doing at this moment, the choice you're making at this moment, is that ethical or not? Mm. Right? And so that comes into means and ends and stuff like that. Well, and, and that's, that's a great segue to tell our listeners, what do we not mean when we say bioethics? Right. So in the United States, it's particularly prevalent. Um, basically because of our very individualistic um, culture, um, bioethics is not merely violations of autonomy or my choice, right? So if I, as a practitioner, if someone tells me to do something and I say, no, we're not going to do that for you, some people will call foul and say, no, that's, it's my right, you know, you're violating bioethics. Well, no, that's not true. Because in bioethics, there are some values that must never be compromised. Mm. And why must they never be compromised? Well, because they violate the good of medicine, right? Now, the problem with all of this is that people have a, a, a misunderstanding of what freedom actually is, right? Because we're very big about free choice in the United States. But... Freedom isn't what my 13-year-old boy likes to think freedom is. I mean, if it were up to him, he would do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not how freedom actually works, right? Um, Francisco Baturi um, wrote about freedom, and he said, look, freedom is a tripartite, right? Freedom is self-determination, yes, you know, what we would call autonomy, making my, me making my choices, but it's also self-realization, right? We don't just choose for no reason. We actually choose to choose, or we don't just choose to choose. We choose for a reason, mm -hmm. right? There is some goal, as Alistair McIntyre would say, you know, there is a telos, right? Mm -hmm. There is some end to the decisions we make. And then, of course, in freedom, we're in relationships with others. So, of course, there's no such thing as absolute freedom. And so the decisions we make, we don't make in a vacuum. And then the other thing to remember in bioethics is that people are like, well, you know, this is what I want. The problem is 
you're not the only one in that medical situation. Dr. Edmund Pellegrino, sort of the grandfather of American bioethics, felt that the key to understanding bioethics was that practitioner-patient relationship. And in that relationship, there's just not just one person, but two. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's how God has made us, is for community right. uh, and to be together. And when one falls, the other hopefully is compassionate enough to help lift us up and guide us in the right direction. And I really liked what you said earlier, too, about how it, it, we're looking at what is going on right now, not what is going to happen in the future, what happened previously. Uh, because that is something that people get get uh, kind of confused over too like St. Paul talks about how we cannot do a good that evil may come of it right that's one of those foundational principles of Catholic um, Catholic bioethics um, that that you know we can only choose goods right mm -hmm. so so what like what are some of those those basic principles of bioethics that guide us in uh, in, in evaluating situations so when we talk about bioethics we we have to talk about the moral event, if you will. Again, what is happening right now? Well, what makes that up? Well, when you think about the moral agent, or sorry, the moral act, you have the agent. Mm -hmm. And remember, there's not just one agent, but two, right? Because there's the practitioner in medicine, and there's the patient. Then there's the act itself, right? And the act you have to look at the benefits and burdens of the act. You have to look at duties and obligations of the act. Mm. You have to look what is that act oriented toward to determine whether or not that act is correct. Then, of course, you have these circumstances, right? Because, if you will, the devil is in the details, right? Mm -hmm. So, in some cases, it might be appropriate to be a full code when you won't recover from a code situation and other places it might not be appropriate. Now, um, just a moment, what, what do you mean by a full code? Explain that for me. So, uh, in medicine, there's the do not resuscitate, okay. right? And some people, when we medically know that to do a code, you know, a code blue on them, they will not survive, mm -hmm. right? Based on age, comorbidities, stuff like that. And so people will recommend, you know, going from a code to a, a no code, because in the end, you're causing more harm than good. And so in some situations, let's say, I know I would never survive a code, but I've got a grandbaby that's going to be born in a couple of days, and I want to do everything possible in order to see that grandbaby. Mm. Well, then I might want to be a code, and it might be acceptable to be a code, even if I wouldn't survive. And we'll talk about those nuances later when we talk about the hierarchy of goods. But the last one would be the consequence. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we'll have more conversation with Dr. Christopher DeCock about those nuances. Yeah. Stay with us for more Real Presence Live right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? 
You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com. How do you know when someone may be contemplating suicide? I'm Father Chris Alar. This person will often exhibit certain warning signs, indicators such as their talk, like killing themselves or having no purpose in life, their behavior, like drug abuse, withdrawal from others, or abnormal sleep patterns, or their mood, like being depressed or having anxiety, can all be warning signs. So mental health professionals are now encouraging you to engage in dialogue with those who appear to be at risk. By talking openly about suicide, asking if they are okay, and listening to their feelings, you may save their life. To find out more, please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. For centuries, healthcare has been central to the healing ministry of the church. Today's technologies offer exciting possibilities, but also serious moral questions. More than ever, we need healthcare leaders who serve with integrity and conviction. The University of Mary answers the call to prepare leaders anchored in moral courage in a breathtaking range of programs from bioethics to nursing. Visit catholicprofessional.life. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Bitson. And I'm Brad Gray. And uh, we've been having a fantastic conversation with Dr. Christopher DePock about bioethics. And before the break, Brad, you had brought up the, yeah, the code. So, so I'm, I'm a bit of a medical ignoramus. And so some of the terminology that's used that I think most people know, I don't. So I was asking uh, Dr. DeCock during the break about the, what, so what do we mean by code? And and maybe I can have you explain it a little bit more. That just sure. like, like that means resuscitate, don't resuscitate, go do whatever you need to do to Correct. resuscitate. Yeah. So yeah. like a full code would be, you know, you've seen the medical shows. If you've been in the hospital, you've probably heard the overhead, you know, code blue. So there is a team of doctors and nurses who would rush to the room, they'd have the paddles to defibrillate, you know, they'd be ready to do, you know, chest compressions, you know, they'd have medicines that they would give to do, you know, to try to restart the heart. Well, we know that in some patients, you know, let's say they have, you know, end-stage heart disease, right, or if they're very old and very frail, you know, doing chest compressions is going to break ribs, you know, restarting the heart is not always going to be successful, especially if the heart is dying. And so in situations like that, you're asking, you know, you know, does that cross the line of feudal care? Mm. And let's be fair, I think futility could be a show in and of itself. Mm. And I think it should be a show in and of itself. But, you know, when we're when we're talking about bioethical things, you know, to me, as a physician, if someone asks for something harmful for like that, let's say, I know you're not going to survive a code, right? You have all of these comorbidities, and you're not going to survive, and so why would we harm you, mm-hmm. right, when your chance of recovery is nil? Sure. And, 
and what I had said is, look, in that situation, general, you wouldn't do it. But when we consider the circumstance, you have to ask, well, why does the person want the full code, right? Mm. And is it because they want to do everything they can so that they can live a little longer to see a new grandbaby mm-hmm. or, you know, or something like that? And so that situation, you know, maybe that circumstance would be good. But what if, you know, what if they've got a terminal illness and they're dying? And, you know, the example that I saw uh, during COVID was, you know, if, if you're COVID positive and you're in New York and there's a shortage of healthcare workers, are you going to risk giving COVID to, you know, five or six healthcare workers when you think that a code would be futile, mm. right? And so, again, like I said, the actual act, you have to consider, you know, what are the benefits and the burdens? You know, what are... What is your duty or obligation in that scenario? And then is it directed toward the end of medicine, which is healing, right? Not harming someone. So I'm not going to do something to harm you because that would be, you know, against the end of medicine unless it was for a greater good, right? So if someone gives me a shot that harms me in the meantime, but it, it results in a greater good, right? But in a, you know, a code situation that's futile, they're not going to come back, you know. Mm-hmm. We're we're we have prudential certitude that that's not going to happen, and therefore to do something to them, now you're acting on them, not for them, mm. right? And so that would be a violation. And so, you know, we had talked about you know the moral event, right? We had talked about the agent, right? Because it's not just the patient; it's the patient, it's the practitioner. It's the team, it's the family, Hmm. right? So there's not just one agent because, remember, freedom isn't in isolation. We've talked about the act, which I just mentioned again. We talked about the circumstance, right? If you will, the devil in the details, right? And then lastly, you know, right before the break, I had talked about the consequence, Hmm. right? So, you know, like I said, with a shot, you know, it's okay to cause a little bit of harm, for a greater good. Sure. But if you're not going to survive, then why am I doing that? And Dr. Pellegrino, you know, not to be too much of a Dr. Pellegrino fanboy, but <laughs> he was an amazing physician, great Catholic man. Um, he stated that when we think about the medical act, we should think about what he calls beneficence in trust. Hmm. Right? So I'll. I'll Pose it to you, Brad, yeah. as the medical ignoramus, That's uh, the self-proclaimed. Yes. So I'm not calling you that. <laughs> so, so why would you choose to go to someone? Um, well, to to recover, to to move toward health again, right? Right. But why would you pick this person over that person? Well, because um, kind of going on what you just said, that you trust this person exactly, more than that person. right? And any relationship has to be based on trust. And then the other thing we have to think about is that not only is it based on trust, but it's based on the good, Mm -hmm. right? So the good in medicine is healing. So when you pick someone to be your physician or your nurse practitioner, you want someone you trust to do right by you, right? To do what's good for you. Mm -hmm. And so when I explain this to medical students, I say, look, I'm fat, I've got high blood pressure. Every time I go to my physician, Dr. Michael Sheldon at Ascension, I'm, he's a good physician, so if you need an internal med doc, I would highly recommend them. Every time I go to him, 
he reminds me that I should really lose weight. Now, I don't want to hear that. I'm not interested in hearing that. But every single time, he tells me that. And why does he tell me that? Well, because he's a good physician. He is doing what's right for me in spite of me, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so even if I want something that's not good for me, you know, an unhealthy lifestyle, he is there to check me and say, no. You know, he's mm -hmm. not just a vending machine. I'm not just putting in a nickel and getting out, you know. You what know, you want this. to hear. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's telling me because, again, he's a moral agent as well. And so I think a lot of people forget that, you know, bioethics is about relationship mm. and a relationship directed toward a goal. And the proper relationship, I believe, is that relationship of beneficence and trust, doing what's good for the patient, sometimes in spite of the patient. You know, and, and for you to say those words together, trust and relationship is so very powerful because when we look at so many of the battles that are going on in the world today, it's a lack of trust hmm. and it's yeah. a lack of really understanding how to develop good relationships. So they do go hand in hand on so many other aspects of our life that we live. But how does, I guess this leads into this too, how does bioethics, you know, interact with faith? I mean, you're talking about good and, and relationship and trust, and, and those are all key Catholic words, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. tell us how bioethics and faith go together. Well, so remember, bioethics is directed toward some goal, some good, right? And we know that in bioethics there are some principles that should never be violated, right? Because they violate that good. Hmm. But the other thing that maybe I had forgotten to say about bioethics is it should be motivated by right reason. Hmm. And so if we ask about reason, it automatically makes me think about John Paul II's encyclical, mm -hmm. Fidesi Ratio. I'm probably saying that wrong. My Italian is terrible. But I would like to quote that because I think it's really key to understanding this intersection, if you will, between truth reason, and faith. So, he says, faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. And God has placed in the human heart a desire to know the truth, in a word, to know himself, so that by knowing and loving God, men and women may also come to the fullness of truth about themselves. And so that's what bioethics mm. is. It is the search for the truth. What is the right thing to do in this situation? And so I think the two are married very well mm -hmm. because, again, bioethics, when you don't use right reason, when you violate you know, the good of medicine, can become something terrible, as we have seen in our culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what we're looking at with, uh, you know, for, there are many of us that are going through the catechism in a year with Father Mike Schmitz right now, and the catechism is split into four pillars. You know, you have the, the pillar on, on the creed, 
uh, basically, which is the church's reflection on salvation history, what what God has done. And because God has done this, we we know these things, right? And then you have the, the second pillar, which is the sacraments, which is, you know, Jesus has accomplished redemption. This is the way that we're inserted into it, through the sacramental life. Um, and then the third pillar is that on the, the moral life, on life, the, the Christian life. How do, because God has made us, because he's redeemed, acted to redeem us, because he's inserted us into his ministry, uh, to his, this mystery of salvation, um, Jesus has also called us to live like he lives in the world with relation to one another, right? And, mm-hmm. and bioethics seems to kind of fit into this, this kind of third key. Like, we're not, the, the goal, the Christian goal is not just simply to think the right things and to say the right words, to say your prayers, but it, it de- puts demands on how we interact with one another and kind exactly. of going into that field of relationship that you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. right? Right, because again, as contentious as some people may think, there is right and wrong things to do in bioethics. And unfortunately, we don't necessarily like to hear that, right? And again, and I think that has a lot to do more with our culture in general, if you will, that, you know, that nihilistic, neo-paganistic, you know, will to power, Nietzschean, you know, I can will it and therefore it should occur, you know. Dr. Pellegrino said about autonomy is autonomy should not replace truth, but you should be held accountable for the choices you make. Hmm. And the other thing about, you know, autonomy, about people asking is people are like, I demand this. Well, guess what? Autonomy is not a positive right. It's a negative right, hmm. right? Sort of like freedom of speech. You have the freedom to say something that's a negative right, but no one has to give you a platform on which to speak right? That would be a positive right. Mm-hmm. Whereas I have a right to a trial by jury. That's a positive right. Mm-hmm. And so in bioethics, really the only, you know, autonomous, you know, key right you have is that to the informed consent, right? You don't have the right to demand a treatment, especially if it's something that's harmful for you. Mm. And so I think people miss that understanding. And so it's important to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, well, we're going to have to take a quick break. But on the other side of the break, we'll have more wonderful conversation with Dr. Christopher DeCock on bioethics and how it relates to our faith. And that's so important for us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Dr. Ryan Sappo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. I want to share with fellow business owners how underwriting Real Presence Radio has been a tremendous blessing to our clinic. Supporting Real Presence Radio as an underwriter allows me to support the mission and work of the new evangelization and also helps us spread the word about Catholic patient-centered eye care in the Fargo-Moorhead area. We've seen a huge return on investment with new patients who found out about Lumen Vision through RPR. If you're a business owner, I'd highly encourage you to consider underwriting Real Presence Radio. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of RPR, and I hope you will be too. Good day to every one of you who are listening to Real Presence Radio. This is Father Wilhelm. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fargo, and I'm assigned at St. Joseph's Catholic Church. And one of the things that I have found in my assignment is that I wanted to become more friendly to get to know St. Joseph more. And one of the things in just in Joseph's name, 
J-O-S-E-P-H. If you take that name, Joseph is just. O, that he's obedient. S, that he was silent. E, that he's an example. P, that he was a parent, the parent, the foster parent of Jesus. And H, husband of Mary. What a wonderful thing to imitate this good, holy man that the Father in heaven chose for his foster father here on earth. And so, have a devotion to St. Joseph. Come to know him. Come to know his intercession as he brings us and leads us always ever more closely in a relationship with the Holy Family. Your future, the future of your family, and the causes important to you are too precious to be left to chance. While no one can control the future completely, a little bit of certainty and predictability is good and healthy. Fortunately, Real Presence Radio has some practical methods to share with you to assist in establishing your will and estate plan. Please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. It's a matter of just getting started. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Hey, thanks for, thanks for staying with us here on Real Presence Live. Brad Gray and Janine Bitson here as your hosts. We're talking to Dr. Christopher DeCock. We've been talking about a fascinating uh, realm, basically, of this bioethics. How does, how does the Catholic faith... Um, how does, how does areas of medicine interact with our faith? And uh, Dr. DeCock was just talking about the interaction of bioethics with faith. And, you know, so as we're kind of unpacking this, you talked about uh, Dr. Pellegrino kind of being the founder of, of modern bioethics and as a Catholic. Uh, so how does, like, what is the Catholic perspective on this field? Well, the interesting part is really prior to Humana Vitae. Now, granted, this is an oversimplification. Pretty much all bioethics was Catholic bioethics. Mm. Um, it's sort of one of those sad truths that as the centuries unfolded, there's been quite a rise in, you know, secular bioethics, not necessarily moored to truth. Hmm. Um, and now, of course, Enlightenment thinking had something to do with that as well, you know, so I don't want to oversimplify it. But really, it's sort of been, you know, prior to that encyclical, which was obviously contentious to hmm. the secular world. Um, bioethics was really a Catholic thing. And, and now, secular bioethics, at least in the United States, is focused on what's called principalism. So I want to talk about principalism a little bit, even though it's not the Catholic perspective, sure. to sort of contrast it to what the Catholic perspective is so that people can see why the secular perspective is lacking and the Catholic perspective That'd be helpful, yeah. is good. Now... In bioethics, you have to understand principalism. You don't necessarily have to like it, but you have to understand it. Mm. And principalism came out of um, um, the principles of biomedical ethics written by um, Beecham and Childress, and it's like in its ninth edition. And it is pretty much what most physicians and probably nurse practitioners are taught in this country. And it's around these four principles, which, you know, on the face of it, sounds pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got autonomy, right? So we talked about that, you know, self-realization, self-determination, right? You've got autonomy. You've got beneficence, doing good. You've got non-maleficence, doing no harm. And you've got justice, which sounds great. They do sound you know, good, yeah. They sound fantastic. But the problem with principalism 
is they're based on John Rawls' um, reflex equilibrium. So what that states is that there are no absolute truths. There are any number of truths, mm. and any number of those truths could be correct. And as society changes, the truth can change. So in their first edition to Principles of Biomedical Ethics, they used principalism to say euthanasia was bad. Mm -hmm. But now in the latest edition, they say the principles support euthanasia, mm. right? Because again, when you're based on relative truth, you're not really based on anything. Right. Right, And the problem is, they hold that all the principles are equal, which is good, but one of the big criticisms that principalism has is that you can use the principles to justify or to deny anything, mm. right? Because, well, if autonomy is equal to justice, then does that mean I can do what I want in violation of justice, or does right. it mean that justice has to supersede my autonomy. And since it's not based on any foundational principle, then you can basically do whatever you want. I've heard the same critique of the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Psychology, that there's really the problem as it goes further and further from reality, because now it's identifying things like gender ideology as something that's to be supported and affirmed and so on, that it doesn't actually ever define what health is. It doesn't actually have uh, a, an... A, a barometer against which to measure things. It's just mm -hmm. someone feels this way, therefore we should um, you know, go with that, basically. Right. And again, that's where that shortcoming comes in. Because remember, I said the act, the medical act, has to be oriented toward the good of medicine, mm -hmm. which is healing, mm -hmm. right? It's not death prevention, right? It's not my opinion. It's the healing of the human person. And so, again... If you forget that end, if you forget the telos, mm -hmm. you're unmoored, right? And what separated Hippocratic medicine from every other type of medicine was that when you talked about the Hippocratic Oath, they talked about the principles of beneficence, non-maleficence, and justice, but they didn't actually talk about autonomy, hmm. right? And Autonomy has lately come into play, and in America, it's predominant. And, and people use that criticism against principalism as well, that autonomy seems to be the first among equals, hmm. right? Which, of course, we can't have because sometime, sometimes we want things that are not good for us. Right. And someone needs to hold us in check. Now, let's contrast that with what sort of Catholic bioethics says, okay? So, Catholic bioethics is founded on the intrinsic human dignity, the dignity that we all have as members of the human species, right? If you want to go further, the dignity we have as children of God, and that dignity should be respected from conception to natural death, right? Sounds, sounds very good, right? And so intrinsic human dignity is sort of the basis for our decision, right? So if you're going to violate someone's intrinsic human dignity, then you're probably going to run into problems. So, so let's talk about, you know, secular ethics, right? So right now they say that euthanasia is okay, right? Mm -hmm. And euthanasia is okay because you are making a free will choice to end your own life. Well, that's 
from a Catholic perspective, is wrong. Why? Mm-hmm. One, because it's first violating your intrinsic human dignity, mm-hmm. right? We are not owners of our bodies, right? We are stewards of them, and that gets into other problems as well. And we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later, that you know we're embodied persons. We're not souls accidentally inhabiting bodies, right? We can't just use our bodies as tools as we wish, mm-hmm. right? That, advi- that would be a violation of our intrinsic human dignity, right? Um, one of the most striking examples of this misuse of principalism occurs in brain death determination. And as you guys know from, if you've been listening previously, I talked about the Uniform Determination of Death Act, mm-hmm. um, which I can give an update at the end of the show, but... Um, the head of bioethics at Harvard Medical School states that you can take vital organs, so like heart, lungs, from people that are not dead, and that's still ethical according to principalism. Mm. Because if they choose to be organ donors, they have made autonomy their choice, and since they're going to die anyway, you're not actually harming them by killing them, But if you violate their autonomy, you're harming them, and therefore it should be okay to take organs from people that are actually alive, if they're okay with it, right? And you can see how that's twisting things, right? That's completely, it's a complete violation of the end of medicine, Mm -hmm. which is healing. It's a violation of the intrinsic human dignity. Now, luckily for Catholics, the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, has come out with the ethical and religious directives. You know, looking at a number of these bioethical um, questions and providing guidance. So as Catholics, we're very, very lucky because we've got a pretty definitive source that can tell us, you know, some of the answers to these questions that is i mean that's that's fascinating it's rich it's important um and we've got a lot of stuff to go through still so uh, i want to talk about what you're saying is so fascinating and and as catholics we we often talk about the soul so how how is the soul different and or related to the body and the mind so again i had hinted at it earlier right we are not just you know, souls accidentally inhabiting bodies. We are embodied people. If you look at the theology of the body of John Paul II, he makes that abundantly clear, mm-hmm. right? The soul is immaterial, and it is distinct from the mind and the body, right? Um, we know that the soul is the formal cause of the body, right? But the body is still subject to natural law, right? Because we know that all bodies will decay, And the reason why death was a punishment for sin is God gave us some extra gift that we could be immortal, right? But then when we ate the fruit, then all of a sudden we are subject to the natural law, just Mm. like every other animal out there. And so a lot of the problems we have in bioethics is because we forget this thing, right? We say things like, my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be fair. You know, it's not just the, the pro-choice side that says it. Like during, you know, COVID, a lot of people were saying, I don't want to get the shot because it's my body, my choice. And it just made me cringe to hear that because I'm like, 
aren't you listening to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. It's not your body, your choice, right? We are stewards of our body, mm-hmm. right? And bioethics doesn't relate to the soul per se, but in bioethics, we consider the hierarchy of goods, which we should talk about after the break because we've only got a couple of minutes. But again, it's key to understanding that, you know, bioethics has to do with the primarily with the biomedical good, right? And it has to do with, should I do this thing or this thing? Hmm. But since there is a goal of medicine, healing, and since we know that in Catholic bioethics, you do not violate the intrinsic human dignity of an individual, and we are not owners of our body, all of a sudden you see there's some railings on these decisions Mm -hmm. to help us. And then if you add that, you know, to that, you know, like the ethical and religious directives, then now we've got a really good resource for a lot of people to be answering these bioethical questions. Wow. All right. Well, we are going to have to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to go into this more on, on uh, the other side of the break. What is the, what bioethics can teach us about the mind, body, and soul, and so on. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to Real Presence Live anytime on any podcast platform? Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. The Gospel records in Luke chapter 4 that at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus preaches in his hometown of Nazareth and stuns, absolutely stuns, his relatives and neighbors by his authoritative preaching. The good people of Nazareth are so taken aback that they wind up trying to throw him off a cliff and stone him. Even Jesus' capacity to perform signs and wonders was limited by the suspicions and hostile expectations of Nazareth. Not much of a reception from the people who should have known him best. Now think about this. If this happened to Jesus, how much more will it happen to us as we faithfully follow in his footsteps as disciples? Do not be discouraged by sarcasm, hostility, or even persecution by family and friends. The Lord will sustain you in your Christian life, even amid persecution. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. This is Father Bo Braun from the Diocese of Duluth. It's my second year anniversary as a priest today, so I figured it's a good time to talk a little bit about priesthood and my favorite part about being a priest. You know, it's intense because you just think about where the priest stands. The priest stands, he stands in the place of Jesus Christ. He stands in between the people and God. And uh, that place is a, there's an intensity of life and there's an intensity of love there. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the, I think the best times as a priest are those moments where God lets you feel that intensity. You know, so the mass, I would say, is the, is the highest point, obviously, because in the Mass, it's the, it's the most intense prayer from the Son to the Father, and I'm caught up in the middle of that. But yet, I, I give all of that love then to the people, and uh, all through my, my ordinary and, and very little heart.
This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Bitson, and I'm joined by Brad Gray. We have had an incredible conversation with Dr. Christopher DeCock about bioethics and really, as Catholics, how important it is for us to understand how important it is. Uh, it's been a Catholic perspective. Dr. Mm-hmm. Chris has talked about it. And we did used to have many Catholic hospitals that you know, reign the world, really, as far as uh, our medical system, the Catholics did a fantastic job. But as it's become more secularized, um, there's been a lot of ambiguous, gray, uh, and even battles <laughs> that, yeah. that have uh, happened. And it leaves us as Catholics with a lot of confusion, with a lot of questions, uh, with a lot of, uh, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Or maybe we're not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so this is a great conversation to have to, to help us go deeper. So, um, Dr. DeCock, um, what can bioethics teach us about, you know, the mind, body, and soul? Okay. So, just um, to, to point out that that area of gray, okay, and I just have to give this disclaimer because when we talk about areas of gray, you know, things where maybe the magisterium hasn't spoken, you know, I have to be clear that, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, what I say might not be what Essentia Health, you know, agrees sure. to. So, so I don't want that misunderstanding. Now, what I'm going to tell you, you know, as far as, you know, my right reason tells me, you know, what's in line with Catholic teaching. And so I just want to make sure that, you know, I don't want people to to misunderstand. I don't think I've said anything terribly controversial, but, sure. you know, I just want to throw that out there because, you know, my employer is kind enough to let me come and do this and I don't want to accidentally, you know, stab him in the back. So, <laughs> Very good um, point. So, when we talk about the mind, the body, and the soul, I think the real good way to look at that is what's called the hierarchy of goods, right? Because we had talked about that earlier, like why would you do a code situation or why would you not do a code situation, right? And we talked about the actual medical act. Well, what does that have to do with the soul, Well, because remember, every choice we make is directed towards some end. And when we talk about bioethics, Dr. Pellegrino stated that the biomedical good is actually the lowest good, right? Hmm. But above that should be the patient's subjective of what is good for them, right? So for the grandpa who wants to be a code, even though it violates that biomedical good because we know he's going to be harmed by doing it so that he can see his grandbaby, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be the personal subjective assessment good. Then above that is the good of the person, right? And that's where that intrinsic human dignity comes, Mm -hmm. right? So that is going to be above my perspective of what is good, right? So if I think my life is not worth living and I want to be killed... Well, no, I can't do that because there's a higher good above that, right? And that's my good as a human person. That's my intrinsic human identity. But then above that is the spiritual good or the ultimate good, right? Mm. And, you know, think about the martyrs, Mm. right? They sacrificed their lives willingly. Mm. You know, they did harm to themselves. They put themselves in harm's way for a higher good, right? Mm. And so, 
one of the common scenarios we have in medicine is with Jehovah's Witness patients, right? They believe that if they get a blood transfusion, they can't go to heaven, hmm. right? That's a deeply held belief. And because of that, and I'm glad that secular bioethics has gotten this right, that we're not going to force them to get a blood transfusion if they are over 18 years of age and they've made their wishes known and they do not want a blood transfusion, even though it could, you know, result in their death. We understand, even in secular bioethics, that are, there are some goods above the biomedical hmm. good. And so I think that's really where this interaction between the mind, the body, and the soul comes in, is those things that are good for the soul, those are the ultimate good. And so bioethics deals with them, you know, in a slightly different way. That is, uh, that's fascinating I, I love that hierarchy too I think it is so informative in dealing with things like gender transitions uh, you know attempted gender transitions those sorts of things where you know the, yes it supersedes the medical good uh, my my own perspective well, but then there's the, the, the ultimate high right. good that, that actually well let's that be with. fair though the data doesn't show that the medical good is being met either with a gender no that's what i mean that that right? one that, so it's that a, it suppresses that's a, the medical that's a hard spot right? right in itself right exactly but i think it all it all comes back to um to that higher good you know with we as catholics we're all called to be saints you know we're all called to be other christ and there are things that in our secular world and even with her own Catholic communities, where we run into these battles, these constant battles, and there's despair, and there's a lack of seeing that other person and their intrinsic human dignity, mm -hmm. you know? And so, then it, then it goes to, okay, we're all called to be saints, so where is our compassion? Because mm -hmm. only the saints know how to be compassionate, right? And so this is where this whole bioethics field is so important because we do have this transgender confusion. We do have people who are contemplating suicide, who are mm -hmm. in deep areas of despair, and they're on an island by themselves. You know, they're ignored or like, oh, just offer it up, just offer it up, or right. it's your problem. Well, they're crying for help. Right. You and, know, and so who and, are we as... Right. Yeah. Right. But but the thing is, you've got to remember what compassion is. Right. Compassion to suffer with. Right. Exactly. If you tell someone to offer it up, you're not suffering with oh, them. Amen, Chris. Right? You have yeah. to suffer with. And and so when people are abandoned, when people don't have those resources or don't think they have the resources, that's when they make these terrible choices. Right. And again, it's not just about the patient. It's about the patient. It's about the physician or the practitioner who is on that journey with them. Mm -hmm. It's about the family. And I think we have to remember that in bioethics, you know, it's not just a biomedical good. There are yeah. higher goods above right. that. Yeah. So, you know, we're gonna, with this show, we're kind of laying a foundation for discussing more individual type of things going forward, right? Just to have the, the foundational understanding of what bioethics is. So what are some common questions that you're hearing from average people? Mm -hmm. So to be fair, there's no common questions, sure. but there's a lot of questions about futility, um, end of life issues, pretty much in the Catholic circles, the beginning of life issues are mm -hmm. pretty well settled. You mm -hmm. know, it's pretty well understood, but you know, can I put in a trach? Could I take a trach out? Mm. Could I, you know, it's, it's those sorts of questions. And what I would say is, 
you know, just right on the bat, if you, you have questions, it's helpful to remember the philosopher Hans Jonas's uncertainty principle. You know, when all things are equal, you have to err toward the side of life. Hmm. And that would be in line with the goal of medicine, right? So if you don't know, you should be erring on the side of life. Sure, sure. Kind of like the principle of don't fire into the woods if you're not sure that it's, it's not exactly. a person, right? <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, especially with deer hunting right yeah, around the corner. Yeah, exactly. It's a, oh. So what, you know, this is this is such a rich field. And as we've said a couple times, that this is also something so relevant to all of us. At some point in our lives, we're going to face these questions. It's inevitable. So where, where can people find resources to learn sure. more about bioethics? So I already mentioned the ethical and religious directives from the USCCB. All you got to do is Google that, and there is a PDF, easy free for download. We also talked about the National Catholic Bioethics, you know, free consultative service. They have some wonderful resources. I've been blessed to do some wonderful work with them. Um, I've done a couple of co podcasts with them. I've been, I'm working on an article right now for the National Catholic Bioethics quarterly for them. So, so the, I think they're a great resource. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you agree. I agree. So, and then of course, you know, like we said, this is a foundation. So we're going to have, you know, some more discussions in the future. Well, we certainly thank you, Chris, for, you know, sharing your expertise with us, uh, you know, being a, a very faith-filled man uh, and a beautiful family. You know, it's uh, important for us to be able to take our faith into our workplace. Um, you know, it's, it's just so important that we just don't say we're Catholic or say... Uh, do certain prayers, we need mm. to have the actions. We need mm. to be the hands and feet of Jesus right. as well. We need to um, uh, put our actions where our mouth is, so right. to speak. Mm. And so I thank you, Chris, for, for being here oh, with yeah. us this morning and sharing sharing what uh, you have to share with bioethics and launching this. Yeah, I think of uh, St. Paul and how he says we are to put on the mind of Christ. And really, that's not just with regard to uh, Doctrine, like matters of, of, of like what we believe about God. It's a matter with re regard to all of reality, right? And this mm -hmm. is this is such a, a personal area of reality that we really do need uh, we need guidance to put on that mind mm -hmm. of Christ, right? And and what I'd like to say, just as a, a final thing, and just a shout out to the members of uh, our local uh, book club, um, we have to remember that in bioethics, we have to adhere to that Catholic social teaching that the order of things must be subordinate to the order of persons and not the other way around. The intrinsic human dignity cannot be violated, no matter for what laudable goal you may think of. And so, if, you take, if that's the only thing you take away from this hour discussion, I think you've learned something. But remember, it's about relationship. Yeah. And I think people will take away a lot more than just that because there is so much here. I'm just excited for the opportunity to continue to unpack these things more and more in the future. So stay with us on the other side of the break. We're going to have more conversation with another physician uh, that's going to help lead us deeper in our faith. So we'll be right back on the other side of the break.